If you've read the 2019 Imposter Syndrome Research Study, you'll know that it found three hidden drivers of the gender pay gap. And these explain why so many companies have been trying so hard to close it and that their success has stalled. Those three hidden drivers were the alpha male culture in so many companies at the most senior levels. The second factor was the lack of flexible working for women who have school-aged children or caring responsibilities or commitments outside of work with that increased time commitment outside of hours that so often comes in leadership roles. And the third factor was imposter syndrome. We found hard data on how women were holding back on applying for those promotions. They weren't being as visible. They weren't speaking up with their best ideas and they weren't asking for the pay rises that they knew they deserved because of imposter syndrome. If you want the full details, the white paper link is below this video. And something happened in the last few weeks that gave me huge hope. Zurich Insurance has run a trial with turning 80% of their roles into flexible working, part-time roles, or job shares. And not only has it worked, it has increased the proportion of women applying for more senior roles. It has increased even more the proportion of women who are actually getting those roles. It is closing the gender pay gap. It has increased employee satisfaction and engagement. And they have rolled this out across the whole company. I'm thrilled today that Emma Francis, who is Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Zurich Insurance, has agreed to answer some of your questions and some of my questions about how they did this. What sparked the idea? How did they overcome the naysayers and those who were objecting? How did they make sure that this didn't damage the business and instead brought benefits? And what advice would she give if you're looking at doing this in your business? Thank you so much, Emma Francis, for joining me today. So Emma, thank you so much for joining me for this interview today about what Zurich Insurance has been doing on part-time working, on flexible working and job sharing. And I'd like to ask you a few questions and I'd like to start with, what was the point where the team made the decision, we're actually going to do this? How did you know the time was right? So um, we had been measuring our gender pay gap. Um, we had also been tracking um, the representation of females at the, all the different levels in our organisation for quite a few years. And while our organisation is pretty much 50-50 male or female, we had um, known for some time that our women tended to be um, overrepresented in the lower grades and underrepresented in senior grades. And we'd you know, started on the journey of putting in place various interventions but the progress was slow. I mean, this is difficult stuff, isn't it? And, and nobody has got the silver bullet yet that, that fixes the, the gender pay gap overnight. So there was um, an awareness that it was a tricky problem. And um, at that time, the government decided to put some money behind some research and they said commission some behavioural scientists to look at this. And they happened to ask us, would you work with us on this programme? Would you be one of our partners? So I'm always one for a freebie. And so, um, but I really like the idea of being bold and really getting to the bottom of our data, which is what the behavioural scientists were proposing to do, so that they could then design, design an intervention that was focused purely on Zurich and our experience, that would be a sort of a nudge, it's that sort of nudge um, approach to behaviour change and really bring some um, improvements in our gender pay gap. Now, 
we couldn't have done it if I hadn't had a really supportive head of HR who was, yes, let's go for it. Let's give it a go. Steve is very um, committed to this issue and he's also willing to to take risks. And, you know, and it wasn't a huge risk anyway, but it, of course, it takes time and effort and the data team and, you know, spending a good deal of time on it. So um, that was the sort of um, the catalyst for, for the um, for getting involved. So I think, you know, we had a thorny problem. We weren't quite sure what to do about it. It wasn't changing. So, you know, timing, which, you know, the fortuitous um, contact with um, someone in government. And, and then before we knew it, we were part of this programme and really sort of excited about the insights that the um, government or the behavioural scientists were giving us. And, and, you know, we're a data-based organisation. We're an insurance company. We, we actually have these skills in-house um, but we had never looked at our data in that way. And of course, what the behavioural scientists then brought was some ideas around the intervention that perhaps we wouldn't have thought of ourselves. So it was it was very helpful to get their input. Perfect. And so one of the things a lot of companies do is they spent a lot of time defending the model of everybody works full time and it's only the lower skilled jobs that could be part time or flexible working or even job share. How did you get the buy-in from the key decision makers in the company to say, actually, we're going to do this despite all of those preconceptions and it will not just not damage the business, it will actually benefit the business? Yeah, I, th- I think it was using the arguments that we use around DNI more generally, actually. Um, primarily, it's about talent. Like, how do we get the talented people into our business that we really want? We, we say that we want to be the employer of choice. Um, because we know that talent drives business results and better outcomes for our customers. Um, so we we said um, to our key stakeholders, this would hopefully open up all sorts of um, new customer or uh, talent bases that we can't access currently. Think of all those people who don't want to work full time but have enormous experience. And actually, you know, you might think that a company like Zurich attracts loads of applicants. But the thing is, a lot of our roles are very niche. And if you're trying to recruit a property underwriter in Farnborough, they're not that thick on the ground. (laughs) So, um, you you know, um, the average number of applicants um, per role um, prior to this intervention was 12. So it's not that many, is it? And and that was, um, you know, reflected the fact that some of our roles will get hundreds and hundreds of applicants. Some of them might get one or two. Gosh. How do we open up that, that talent base? Um, but it was also about innovation, um, about um, reflecting our customers better. You know, we, we need uh, more diversity if we're going to truly understand and serve our customers more effectively. And also um, just being fairer, you know, and, and not having these sort of um, rigid rules on what a job looks like. And, you know, there's no there's no reason why all jobs need to be full time. Some jobs, yes, perhaps, you, you know, if it's customer facing, you do want somebody available for, the, you know, those 35 hours or however long it is. But some roles don't need to be. They don't need to be full time. It's just habit that we always say, oh, well, yes, I've got the headcount, so I must make it a full time role. And, it, you know, you don't want to lose the funding and manage to persuade, you know, the cost center to give me however much money for a full-time role so why would I give up some of that funding some odd odd thinking processes that go on sometimes 
That's brilliant. And Emma, I know one of the things that many of us have come across anecdotally or in personal experience historically is, for example, if a mother of a school aged child says, right, actually, I want to finish at four today so I can go to little Freddie's school play. That can be seen as a really career limiting decision. Mm. How did you handle the cultural change that needed to happen with everybody, not just the key decision makers on that? Mm. So, For a number of years now, we've implemented what we call flex work, but it's agile working. So this can apply to um, people, whether they work full time or whether they work part time hours. And it's the idea that you empower your people to work where, when and how they choose in order to deliver on their business commitments. So we've rolled that out across the whole company in 2017. And I'm not going to pretend overnight suddenly everyone was enlightened and saying, you know, off you go to your school assembly or whatever it might be. But actually, the majority were engaged and it was a habit that we have picked up as an organisation. And um, so the principle that, you know, you shouldn't micromanage your people, that we employ adults at Zurich, we pay them good money, therefore they shouldn't need to be micromanaged. Um, And that, you know, for um, in order to attract the best people, but also to retain the best people, we need to understand that people have lives outside of work. You know, if you haven't got a a child, then you've probably got hobby or you've got um, parents you need to look after. Or, you know, one of our employees is a vicar. So he, you know, likes to go off and do the occasional harvest festival service and um, and we've all got interests outside work and and sometimes the car needs an MOT. So just allowing people that flexibility, we have, we just, you know, discovered that, you know, our employees then repay us in leaps and bounds, um, the, um, the loyalty and the, and the commitment. So that that concept of, you know, allowing flexibility in the workplace was there when it comes to actually reducing your hours I think it, it it comes back to just having a conversation. So going back to the property underwriter in Farnborough, um, because the, um, you know, the, the um, people who can fulfil that role, you know, there's not so many people who apply, you're sort of almost, you know, you want to talk to everyone who can do that role. And if they turn around and say, well, you know, I need a little bit of flexibility or I'd only like to work three days, four days, well let's have that conversation let's talk about flex work as well does that elect, does that give you more um comfort that you will be able to balance your work and home life and you know what what can we make work that works for the employee and the business so i think you know with our part-time job share campaign it was very much about sending that message that we're up for a conversation we can't guarantee that every role will be available two days a week but come to us let's talk and let's see what we can make work for, for both parties. That's brilliant. So it sounds like you'd laid the foundations already to move away from the culture of presenteeism to actually, as you say, with the agile working, looking at, well, have you delivered your objectives, which allowed people to take more responsibility themselves and will have started the cultural change that made it easier for you when you set that intention of, right, I think, is it is it 80% of your roles now fit under this? What's the figure um, now? Yes, that, yeah, that's right. Yes. So it's very, very impressive. Yeah. So Emma, I'd love to ask you what the benefits are that you've seen. We've seen in the media some incredible figures on the percentage of women now applying for these roles and actually the percentage of women getting these roles. So I'd love to hear about that. And also what other benefits that you've seen for the employees and for the organization? Sure. Yeah. So 
it's been really exciting and and the um the the involvement of the behavioral scientist means that it's been a very rigorous analysis of the impact so there's no sort of skewing the figures with them you know they're very sort of um academic in, in their approach so overall we've seen a 16 percent increase in applications from women which is brilliant because um you know we have we have um, historically had fewer applications from women than men into our organization um but most excitingly i think you know the applications from women for senior roles has increased by 20 percent wow so that's you know a, a massive number and then I guess the ultimate aim of all of this, we've seen an increase in appointments of senior women increased by 33%. So, you know, that is, that's the ultimate aim, isn't it? And the number of people working part-time hasn't increased massively. Um, but we put that down to the fact that actually this conversation that we're encouraging people to have if people get the um, comfort that they've got some flexibility, even when working full time, they perhaps don't need those part time hours in, in quite the same way. Um, and what has been also very encouraging is that applications from men have also increased. So that um, average number of um, applicants per role has more than doubled. Um, so that's very heartening, isn't it? And it you know just shows that you know men want that flexibility as much as women we think and you know we've also introduced equal um, maternity and paternity pay and we're seeing you know nearly all of the men who qualify for that take the full four months that they're entitled to so that that sort of message is coming back to us in, in a number of ways that our you know male colleagues really want to be part of this too um so when i think about the sort of wider impact i think it's it comes back to that um, that talent piece. You know, we we want the best person for the role, and we acknowledge that not everyone that 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 person will want to work full time, or they might want some flexibility. So, you know, getting some um, great diverse talent into our organisation, um, but it's also I think empowered our employees to, you know think about their own roles and how they can really embrace flexibility. And for sure, COVID's been, you know, one of the few silver linings of, of this whole horrible lockdown has been the, um, the proof that flexible working, that working off-site can absolutely work. And, and we know, of course, it's not perfect and it would be fantastic to see colleagues face-to-face -face for at least some of the time. But we've surveyed our employees and they've told us loud and clear that they want increased flexibility whenever we go back into the post-COVID world in terms of, you know, not being expected to sit at their desk in the office nine to five. Um, so I think the, you know, the culture has really um, matured and with that's come through in our um, employee listening um, exercise that we did over the summer. Um, the numbers have increased hugely in, in terms of employee engagement. So that's not all down to flexible working and but I think it's it's generally around that sort of um, grown-up progressive view of employment if you empower your employees if you trust them then they pay you back in um, commitment productivity um, engagement in, in spades. It's wonderful so Emma it sounds like you kind of took one for the team industry-wide by working with the behavioral scientists and then actually putting this into action 
you you took a risk that hasn't just paid off. It's actually showcased now what we could all be achieving. If you were to advise another company that's considering this, say there's another head of HR or diversity and inclusion who's thinking, yeah, okay, we know this is a factor in the gender pay gap, we're going to do it. Or if, you know, the you a few years ago when you first started talking about this, if you were to give that you some advice, what advice would you give? And is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I would encourage people um, any organisation to give it a go um, because of the, the good results that we've got. And because you're not promising anything, you're, you're setting yourself up, you're indicating your willingness to talk flexibility, um, your, your, your willingness to have a conversation. But ultimately, if, the, you know, if a role needs to be done full time, then you, know, you, you don't have to give it to somebody who works part time. You've, you've got nothing to lose. But if you do do it, then you're, all sorts of interesting people are going to come out of the woodwork that you, I, you know, I've heard stories of, of managers, you know, who were initially sceptical in our organisation. But then when the talent came through, they were just blown away by who was on offer. So they were like, well, obviously, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll you know, get this person in. So, you know, um, as with anything, give it a go. And, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, then you you can always change it. You you know don't have to sign in blood. Um, and if I did, if, if I was going to go about it differently, I'm not. I'm not sure. There's there's much much I sort of reflect on and, and regret. There's still some of our roles that we um, you know the, the business leaders feel would be difficult to accommodate as part time. And that's my next challenge to sort of work with them to sort of think about how it could be done more flexibly. Um, and, and that, you know, that sort of comes down to, I, 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 I always believe it comes down to mindset. If you want to do something, you can always make it work, can't you? If you've got that mindset that you want to achieve it, whereas if you think, oh, that's too difficult, well, you're not going to make it happen. So um, I think you know work with the work with the people who really believe in it. Don't start with the believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, help that you get them to prove that it works, and then you can move on to the people who are perhaps more skeptical or or can't see it how it will work for them, and they'll soon be won over, or their competitive streak will kick in, and they'll say, um, you know, well, I want some of that. So. Yeah, you can you can always start small or trial it in a certain business area if, if there is nervousness. Um, but you know, it's been a it's been a really positive thing for us. And I always come back to if you've got if you've got the data, if you've analysed your data, you can prove where the where the the bottleneck is, or the sort of the kink in the hosepipe that's stopping people flow through, uh, as I've heard it referred to. Um, then you can address that kink really focus your intervention because in the dni world there are so many things that you can put in place aren't there you know whether it's blind cvs or mentoring or you know whatever it might be but you might be directing your effort and your funding at the wrong thing so yeah it's just being being clear on on the issue you're trying to solve and then designing an intervention that addresses that 
That's brilliant, Emma. Thank you. And I, I absolutely love what you just said there about start with the believers, because so often when we want to create change, we think we've got to start with convincing the people who are anti yeah, and actually yeah. trialing it with the believers is a very easy way of convincing those who might be more skeptical. And as you say, bringing out their competitive streaks that they want to be involved in it too. That's amazing. To wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, I I just think it's a, it's a sign of a maturity in a way in an organization. I think if you can cope with flexibility, part-time, full-time workers, because it's all about focusing on the customer and delivering for the customer the absolute best for the customer and in business we always talk about empowering our employees don't we how important it is to empower them and then what I used to see you know 10 or so years ago was actually a lot of micromanagement and oh we couldn't possibly let our junior people do do their own thing they need supervising well a lot of those junior people were women who'd done the job for 20 or 30 years were supremely um uh, skilled in their role and experience, they didn't need somebody looking over their shoulder over the t- all the time. So I, I, I just, as you can tell, I'm a massive proponent of this, and I, you know, encourage anyone in sort of our positions to just give it a go. And um, because I think you know, it's the it's the new world, it's the future, and the sooner you get with the program, the more you'll uh, have the opportunity to to reap the benefits. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Emma. You're so welcome. So thank you again to Emma Francis, Head of Diversity of Inclusion at Zurich Insurance. And for you watching this, thank you for taking the time. I really hope that you found this useful. The research study is below this video. There's also a downloadable transcript of Emma's interview. If you want to be able to share her key insights with those in your company to be able to start this journey for yourselves or take it to that next level. And I'd love to hear from you. What action are you going to take as a result of watching Emma's interview today? How might you find your believers and start working with them so that you can create a positive wave of change? That adult conversation, as Emma describes it, in your business to help close the gender pay gap so that every role is available to the person who is the best fit for the role, who has the skills, the talent and the potential, rather than being determined by the number of working hours. Get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. And if you've got a story that could inspire people about what you've been doing on diversity, inclusion, closing the gender pay gap, ditching imposter syndrome, get in touch. I'd love to interview you for a future episode.